The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that wants to prove it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Vodafone Zone. Please welcome your host, Simon Pound. A flippant comment around a kitchen table in 2013 brought around a business that's gone from making one Thai green curry to now having a delivery or pickup service for ready-made meals, two cafes, a commercial kitchen, regular media appearances, two cookbooks, thousands of meals sold a week, and a staff of 25. Jess's underground kitchen is now very much in the overground. To talk about the journey, Jess Daniel joins us now. G'day Jess, thanks for coming in today. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell us, how was it that you came to uh, to start Jess's Underground Kitchen uh, from that chat around the kitchen table? Well, there was absolutely no plan, no business plan, no normal business affair whatsoever. I had found myself recently unemployed, recently moved back from living in the UK and thinking, hey, I love food and I want to do something that I'm passionate about, but how do I bring that into a New Zealand role that will challenge me and keep me inspired about being a, a foodie. And I'm not a trained chef or anything like that. Um, I've done a bit of food writing and I thought, hey, I know, I love cooking. Why don't I outsource the cost of my meals, get my friends to pay for it, and then I essentially get to eat for free, but I've managed to cook dinner and I've got all this free time, so that's a win-win for me. So I sort of posed it to my friends. They all agreed that they'd be happy to chip in 10 bucks a piece to have a delicious home-cooked meal. And so Jess's Underground Kitchen became the working name, and it all sort of spiralled from there. And so was that having them round to, like, your house for dinner in the first instance? Absolutely. So we sat around the table, I think it was a Tuesday night, and my friend Kirsty said, oh, my God, I can't believe you've made hummus from scratch. Like, who are you? And for <laughs> me, that's quite normal, you know, like cooking, even when I was working a long um, day, was my release when I came home at night. So um, she said, oh, can you just package me up little parcels of your meals and leave them on the doorstep, and I'll pick them up on my way home from work and pay you for them. And I was like, of course you can can't pay me to cook for you that's ridiculous so a few people expressed interest and we set up a Facebook page and yeah my first ever meal was a Thai green chicken curry and so it was friends in the first instance coming coming by and picking it up and then did word spread through that Facebook yeah well page. actually one of my first ever non-friend customers although I like to think that he's a friend now um, a guy called James came he sent me an email and he said I'd like to place an order for dinner and I was like who the hell is Jen? Oh my, oh my God. Sort of started hyperventilating. Like, I'm not a good enough chef to cook for other people. Like, it's fine for friends and family. 
Um, and amazingly enough, James and his partner still order most nights every week. Now we're five years on. Uh, so good. they feel like family. And so that's kind of, I guess, um, a real snapshot of my customer base. I know them by name. I know their kids' names. I know where they've been on holiday. Um, and having the two delis as well really contributes to that community vibe. Yeah, Let, let's go back to how you were kind of building that business along. When did you know that it was first kind of working? Like um, that you could, this wasn't like just a side project while you looked for something else. This could be something that you could make into a real business. Yeah, well, it was a bit of a risk because I was essentially cooking out of my home kitchen, which back in 2013 had a lot of health and safety regulations around that. That was a bit naughty. So, so it, it was properly underground? It like properly it, underground. It was a pirate kitchen. And I'm, people used to come and pick up these brown paper bags at my front door, and I'm sure my neighbours thought that I was dealing something <laughs> other than Thai green curry, yeah. that's for sure. She's selling some brownies. What kind of brownies <laughs> are those? Absolutely. So um, it was about six weeks in, and I actually got a call from the publisher who I'd been working for um, before my contract wasn't renewed. It was, you know, the year of publishing, and it was all going downhill and the big financial crisis and so on. Um, and they were like, oh, great, we've found a way to bring you on board. We can offer you a full-time role. And I was kind of like, oh, I'm doing this thing, and I feel like there's some traction there, but until I actually take it to a commercial kitchen and see if there's legs, I don't know, but it's quite a risk, and there's my dream food writing job. What do I do, you know? Ah! And I actually turned down the job and found a commercial kitchen. And so it was at about that six-week period that I really jumped off the top of the cliff, I guess, really, and thought, well, I can't promote the business anymore because it's so underground that it's um, illegal, (laughs) essentially. Um, So if I want to be able to market it to who I think my target audience is, which is time-poor young professionals and busy families, and, you know, I was living in the heart of Hearn Bay, um, I had target audience right at my feet, but I couldn't actually do a mail drop or advertise, you know, any further because people were coming to my house. So that was the the real turning point at about six weeks. And interestingly enough, a couple of days after I made that decision, I got a call from quite a big glossy magazine saying, hey, we've heard about your underground kitchen and we want to do a feature on you. And I was kind of like, oh, my God, I've gone from writing about food and chefs to actually being the content of a feature, which was, yeah, a pretty amazing feeling. Ah, that's so cool. And I remember when it first popped on the scene and people were chatting about it. They were going, well, it's like this underground kitchen. And uh, it, it, it did have that kind of um, risky kind of uh, element, which was hilarious, you yeah. know, for, for a food delivery thing. But it was very early in that convenience food delivery time frame. Um, yeah, well, did, did you kind of immediately see that there was like, a strong kind of real business case around it or that there was that big demand that was unserved? Well, I guess coming from living in London, you know, we had convenience food at every turn, Marks and Spencer dinners, you know, I was prone to buy the odd salad from M&S or, or Waitrose and you didn't really think twice in the UK about that because the quality was good enough that you were happy to buy a pre-packaged meal and I think the, the sort of general feeling in New Zealand is that a supermarket or a reheatable meal is going to be terrible. Mm. And let's be honest, most of the time it is. Um, and I guess because when I started Jess's Underground Kitchen, it wasn't, I didn't have a business plan. It wasn't supposed to be a business. And it was just the right timing. And I, it was actually the same week that my food bag launched 
um, that I did my first ever JUK meal. And so people were going, oh my God, have you, have you seen about this other company that's, you know, You're like, up? oh, it won't take on, that won't take on. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really different. Um, and obviously we are now very different companies, but it's interesting that New Zealand was obviously ready to embrace the idea of convenience. And the feedback I get from my customers, it's not just about saving them time cooking, it's about affording them an extra hour in the evenings to go to the gym or spend more time with their kids or or do all of these other things. It's not just about having a meal prepped and cooked for them, it's about their whole lifestyle, which is great. Yeah, what's your breakdown between families doing the big family meals and people doing kind of individual meals? Because there's such a thing of... You know, cooking for one, you end up with leftovers for three days or it's like wildly expensive what you end up having. Kind of the whole world's built around making family-sized meals. Absolutely. And we've actually just this year launched a family-sized meal because we've had such demand from it. Um, I guess originally I kind of thought I was feeding my peers, you know, young professionals, singles, people who weren't, who or who were eating too many takeaways and just not really having a healthy option. You know, there's only so many times you can have Rincon or Fatima's or, yeah. and so on. Um, and But we sell a lot of two meals serves. So um, I think it's couples who want to feed the kids and but don't want to eat, you know, macaroni and cheese every night but want to have a really yummy dinner but don't necessarily want to cook two dinners or put the kids to bed and then get to sit down and have, you know, a really nice meal um, that feels like they could have made it themselves, but without any of the effort. And how did you build that along the way? So originally it was people picking up bags from your kitchen, and, and then was it picking up bags from a commercial kitchen? And, and, and what did you expand to that delivery kind of piece? Yeah, so it kind of got to the point where, you know, I couldn't really have people coming to my house anymore, which was understandable. And then I, I did actually have a little phone call from the council about that. <laughs> so we moved to a sort of pop-up model. So I would find cafes that were closing at sort of three in the afternoon, and I'd pay them a bit of extra rent to be able to open and use their space between four and seven. So people would come to that pickup point and collect their meals. So it was kind of win-win for me. I didn't need to have a bricks and mortar. It was win-win for the cafe because it was not being used after hours. So I had a, a Herm Bay, I had a city one for a while and one over on the shore. And then I was kind of really looking for a space that I could have my kitchen and pick up point all in one because obviously the logistics of at one stage my commercial kitchen was on the North Shore and then I was you know driving it over to Herne Bay and you know Auckland traffic we don't need to go into that um, so the, the my first deli spot which is on Jervois Road um, it was a cafe and it had been empty for about a year and I just knew it was the perfect location for me. It had the kitchen, it had the parking outside, it was accessible, it was kind of out of the main strip because um, I am a bit of a destination uh, eatery rather than a, a walk-by and it took, it took over 12 months of talking to the owners and, and working through that which in the meantime I saw a lot of other spaces but None of them were quite the Jervois Road location. So when I finally signed the lease on that, I was very stoked. And at that stage, how big was your team? So at that stage, we weren't actually that big. We were cooking five days a week and we had about four of us in the kitchen. And then I would just have a couple of girls who would help with the pickups and, you know, sort of man the shop and and serve customers when they came in to pick up meals. So it was only really when we opened the deli and suddenly had this whole other space 
to be able to feed people, that's when it really sort of started ramping up. What was that like when you had something that it's got your name on it, you know, like it's Jess's Underground Kitchen and you're kind of intertwined with the identity of it. What's it like building out the team and then having um, more people and, and having to kind of like, um, yeah, like like capture what was what is you and 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 have that uh, consistent with everyone? Oh, it's so hard because I mean, there's no cloning machine to make a whole lot of Jesses, um, and I was lucky that my um, when I first opened the deli, my sort of like main manager there was just awesome, a girl called Sophie. She helped me. We painted, we sweated, we laughed. Um, it was a real team effort and I couldn't have done it without her. Um, I had some great chefs at the time as well and we just all really got stuck in. And I think the hard thing about being a business that is Jess's underground kitchen is that everyone always wants to see me, but I can't be in the kitchen, you know, maintaining a, a level of quality of food and also out the front serving customers and also doing media appearances and also at the other deli now and so it's a real it's a real juggling act because people I think some people do think that it's still just me in the kitchen Mm -hmm. you know cooking meals for hundreds but of course I have to have a team around me now well yeah how how big is it 25 staff two locations commercial kitchen that's a that's a big operation yeah uh, about six months ago yeah it's probably about six months ago now I hired a general manager whose name also is Jess, actually, ironically, which is incredible. Um, and it's been, it was the biggest risk I took, but it's the best thing I've ever done. You know, being able to delegate, having someone to trust at that level, you know, it's so much more than, you know, a chef knowing flavours or, you know, a really good store manager. It's having someone who can, you know, analyse the numbers, tell me that I'm being an idiot when, you know, I come up with these crazy ideas, but also just be able to work on the business and help me focus on the direction of where the business is going and how we scale because it's so easy to get so caught up in the day-to-day and working in the business and you know I can work a 90-hour week without you know even responding to half the emails that I need to respond to which are the ones that are going to grow the business. How did you take the step back to realize to do that and do you think you did it like um, a lot of business owners say I wish I'd done it earlier you know did you do it at a good time? Oh, no, I mean, because JUK was never supposed to be a business, it was just this idea, I kind of floated on that for quite a while, that I was, you know, writing this organic journey of, you know, deciding what my customer would want, and I didn't need to know the numbers because it wasn't about that, but in hindsight, you know, I should have known this years ago, and from day one I should have really known, you know, what my margins were, what I needed to be, you know, up marking a meal in order to make you know a return that would be enough that would cover all of the extra costs that you have because you just don't understand how expensive it is to run a business at that scale oh my word that, that, that rings so true for me when in um, uh, the fashion business that um, I, I work with uh, yeah that um, the fashion business my partner and we didn't start out looking at kind of what the profit was uh, to, to actually um not have a difficult life and as a result things were very hard for the first couple of years and just that thing of actually knowing for every dollar you spend or lock in as an overhead you need to make three to four dollars back just to be just to be going forwards you know like not knowing those things is so crippling yeah and you're working for less than minimum wage and once you're in that 
routine, it's quite hard to then scale up and get out of there, you know. And I think, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to have a financial director or an accountant on your team. You know, there's some great software out there that you can actually analyse it yourself, but you just have to be really strict on making sure that you look at your numbers every day. So use, a, you know, like a platform like Zero, where you can see what your bottom line is, you know what's coming in and what's going out every day. And you need to know what your margins are because if you don't have a big enough gross margin, you won't be paying your staff and you won't be paying yourself, that's for sure. Yeah, and I found that like the things that you get into business for, to be creative, to make things that you're proud of, to have great customer relationships, to you know build cool things basically, you've got a lot more room and happiness for the creativity required for those if you actually know that all the basics are covered because you know what your margins are and you know you're actually got enough to pay everyone and keep doing this and if you don't know it's just misery yeah and I um last year I actually brought someone on board to help with that side of the business um and he also came on in an an investor capacity and it was through that process of you know really having to do due diligence on ourselves I guess and Mm -hmm. on myself and it it showed up a lot of holes and a lot of things that we needed to work on and it was hard because it was almost you know, attacking what I'd been working on and growing for the last four years. But it's really helped me as a business owner to see the business as a business mm. rather than as my own little pet project, which I think, you know, in my head, it's like, oh, yeah, I started this thing, you know, from my kitchen table. Oh, that's all a lovely story. But at the end of the day, this is my life now. I've got a lot more gray hairs since I started how do I, you know, do the next five years and then the next five years after that because it needs to be more worthwhile than working in a nine-to-five, right? Yeah, and with 25 staff you've and leases on properties, you've got a lot of responsibilities. And at the end, if you're the only one who's not getting paid and is at risk when everyone else is getting paid, it's a very, very, very unusual way to spend 90 hours a week of your life. Exactly, and I'm lucky I have a very understanding partner. Um, but... Yeah, it, it's a pretty crazy life and every year I start the year saying I'm going to have a better work-life balance this year and of course it never really happens but when you are passionate about something and love what you are doing, I think it is worth it. Did you find that process of identifying as a business person and a business owner um, fr- instead of you know maybe well you know alongside the creative or writer or or chef or cook or whatever? Um, did you find that was weird? Is there kind of like a sometimes from the creative industries business is seen as a bit kind of crass or not as worthy as creative stuff? But do, do you yeah. find that it is as interesting and worthy? Yeah, I mean it's a challenge every day. I definitely don't sort of. Point my pin myself as you know this business owner in my white collar shirt and you know high heels. I'm a pretty relaxed, you know, um, creative business owner, and I think that attra- attracts the right people as well. Um, I ironically have a team of I think 24 females and one male, which is not by choice at all. It's just worked out that way, and um, we have some pretty great vibes it's it's a lot of fun and it's a young team but it it makes it all that more enjoyable to come to work so I don't I guess I don't really position myself as a business owner I'm just Jess and I'm doing what I'm doing and we're creating something and and that's really cool tell me about the brand building side of things with the cookbooks and the media appearances and the really great social media channels you run how does that all kind of play into the growth of the business 
Well, so I guess um, when I started in 2013, I set up this Facebook page so I didn't have to spam my, you know, friends living in other countries with what I was having for dinner um, and what other people could have for dinner. Yay, go Jess. And I didn't even have a website for the first six months because in those days, Facebook was the platform for small businesses. It was a way of reaching people. I had amazing engagement. It was a way for people to watch the conversation online, you know, and see what other people were saying about this business. Like, oh my God, Jess, last night's lasagna was so delicious. And someone else goes, oh, maybe I should try this lasagna. So it was very much word of mouth marketing. I don't think in the first three years I spent a cent Um, on marketing slowly got a website and sort of built up a bit of an infrastructure and obviously with opening the cafes we had to have you know a point of sale system and and a a bit more structure around that but in terms of the brand it really has been quite self-perpetuating which is amazing you know I know that I definitely can't complain about the media I've had or the way that it's grown and I guess as a copywriter in a past life, I've had some, you know, sway in, in how it's been presented to the media or, and or the public, um, which has helped in a general understanding of social media and, and so on. But I think what's been important is the whole way through I've maintained my own voice um, and I still do all my own social media. You know, there's no agencies involved whatsoever. So you kind of have this authenticity, which I guess, you know, comes through in the cookbooks and I've worked with the same team on both books and, um, yeah, it's really all about teamwork and, you know, how everyone's working towards this, making this brand even better. Are there certain things like, you know, does being a published cookbook author add legitimacy, you know, or, or having the the Jew Voice Road address? Are there certain things that kind of like, you know, mean that you, you know, do a lot of work for you in the business like that? Well, I think that in terms of having the cookbooks, it does lend an authenticity to people who perhaps haven't heard of me. Um, my customer base is quite Auckland-centric, um, and the cookbooks give me a bit more of a nationwide presence. Um, it's probably through the cookbooks that I've had opportunities you know, to do regular slots on TV or um, radio interviews and stuff like that. And it's just a really fun project. Like I love doing the books. It's hard work. And after the first one, I said, never again. Um, but we've secretly been planning book three, so <laughs> <laughs> we're suckers yeah. for punishment. Were, were there any moments along the way where it, it felt, um, you, you know, like maybe this wasn't the idea? You know, maybe uh, you get a commercial kitchen and then the mains burst or something like that. A hundred percent. I can remember a couple of years ago, I was stirring this pot of spaghetti bolognese, you know, like a 50 kg pot of mince going what the actual am I doing with my life? You know, I just turned 30 and I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. All my friends are, you know, wearing nice clothes and, you know, going out for dinner after work and I'm working six days a week and um, barely sleeping. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. What do you wish you'd learnt earlier along the way? So I think one thing that I wish that I'd done more of is celebrate the small wins because you know like with my first store opening or my first cookbook being published and you sort of you're on this adrenaline buzz and you're constantly looking ahead at what the next challenge is or what the next thing is going to be and I think it's a Kiwi mentality as well that we don't really stop and go hey you're awesome you know we, we have that tall puppy syndrome and I think that I didn't really stop and sort of celebrate what I'd created, what I've achieved, even now, you know, like supporting 25 staff and, and having 
delis that people come to every day because they love the food or the fact that my customers rely on my meals to get them through their first year of you know having a child or um, we're actually we're entwined in people's lives so much more and so to go back to your your previous question I could never give up what I'm doing because even if I was burning out so many other people rely on me Mm. especially customers you know they love what I'm doing. And how, what would James say if I stopped feeding him after five years? Yeah. He's probably forgotten how to cook. Yeah. Hi, James. <laughs> um, so and what's the advice, um, you, you know, especially with like a young team and stuff, what's the advice that you give to entrepreneurs or people who are looking to get started uh, in kind of following their dream? So I think, you know, I started without a business plan and some people would say that's great. Some people would say that's not such a great plan. Um, It worked for me. And I think often when people start out in a small business, they really know their product or their service, but they don't necessarily know their customers. And that is the most important thing because you can know everything about your product or service, but unless you actually know your customer base and listen to your customers you're not going to have a market to sell that product and you have to be able to change your plan to suit who your customers are and what they're wanting, which is what we've kind of done the whole way with Jess's Underground, um, whether it's changing pickup locations or adding on family meals or reducing spice levels in certain meals because, you know, people can't quite handle a certain heat level and just all those little things because as long as you're constantly striving to be the best for what your customers want, then your customers will support you. And that's where, that's how you have a business, right? Are there any words that you live by or things you tell yourself when things get tough or mottos? Oh, God, stop. Stop right now. <laughs> um, I, I'm not really a quote person, but we do have a little saying in our team, and it's teamwork makes the dream work. And so whenever we're having a bit of a shitty day or we've just had a customer, you know, take it out on us, we all kind of rally together and it, and it applies to the kitchen, it applies to the front of house staff, it applies to the office staff. Um, and it, yeah, that's so true. You know, teamwork really does make that dream work. So that's our kind of GUK motto. Uh, that's so cool. And what's next? Another cookbook on the horizon. You've got two delis, you're opening more. Uh, yeah, what, what's next? Uh, what, what can we look forward to? Um, we're not looking at opening any more delis this year. Sorry, everyone who's asking. Um, but I think what we really want to do this year is consolidate what we have and scale what we have. So that would probably mean scaling the home-cooked meal side of the business. We've started offering a much better delivery service this year. Um, and obviously the logistics around that are pretty um, headachey and massive. But we're working through that with hopefully the intention of being able to roll it out further than Auckland um, which would please a lot of people so it's just working through the logistics and that's what we're really focusing on for 2018 Ah, That's magic, thank you so much for joining us Jess Daniel of Jess's Underground Kitchen Thank you very much for having me Thank you Alice for recording and thank you very much for listening Uh, If you'd like to get in touch or if you've got a suggestion for someone who'd be great for a business as boring do hit me up on Twitter it's at Simon underscore Pound You've been listening to Business Is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. All this was brought to your ears by The Spin-Off and Vodafone Zone. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business Is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business Is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz.
Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.